review. Later on, Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar will join me to wrap up the season, and we'll kind of look forward to what's going on this offseason. But first, we have a special guest. Alec Lewis covers the Royals for The Athletic, a terrific sports site that provides some in-depth reporting. Alec, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Max, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, excited to be here and excited to talk some Royals as the, the playoffs have begun. The season um, is over, so no, it should be fun. Yeah, the playoffs, unfortunately, will not include the Royals. Uh, they did have a kind of a rough season, losing 100 <laughs> games for the second year in a row, finishing at 59 and 103. Certainly wasn't a season I think Royals fans will remember, but there were some bright spots, uh, particularly Jorge Soler winning a home run title, Hunter Dozier kind of emerging as one of the best hitters in the league, also solid play from guys like Whit Merrifield and Brad Keller. It, when you look at the context of this rebuild, uh, how, how do you kind of assess this season, whether or not it was successful or not? Uh, and what do you think the organization kind of takes away from this season? You know, it's a hard thing. Um, it really is a hard thing to assess kind of this year and and, and how it turned out. I mean, I know if you, you ask a bunch of guys in the clubhouse what they thought of the year, there were the specific positives that you mentioned, the Jorge Soler, the Hunter Dozier. Um, but, but I think they, they wanted to win more, obviously, and they thought, I think, at the beginning of the season, they could win more. I mean, Whit Merrifield said um, on the last day of the year on Sunday, he's like, we know people don't believe in us, and, and we know people don't, some people don't believe that we can win next year, but, but we do. And so there's that, there's that idea kind of within players in the clubhouse, which is probably often the case, where you think you're better than, than maybe at times your record shows. I mean, I think for me, as I look at the whole thing, I think it, it, I can't chalk it up to this was a positive year, this was a negative year. I think it was always going to be tough to win a lot of games. I, I, I think that was pretty obvious just in terms of, the pitching and, and what the Royals had um, as a bullpen and, and even at the back end of the rotation. But I think if you look at some of the progressions, like Jorge Soler, who obviously um, won the AL home run crown, I mean, he stayed healthy all year. He played all 162 games. If you just said that at the beginning of the year, uh, people would have been like, wow. I mean, I, you're, you're dreaming. You're, uh, this is, there's no way. Um, so that specific progression is something that, that's huge. I mean, Hunter Dozier is a former first-round pick and a guy who, um, I mean, really had not shown too much. But not only did he uh, flash the power and, and ability to, to, I mean, just perform at the plate every single day, but he also played pretty well at third base. And then he also played a little bit in the outfield. And so that is a a progression that if you'd have told people at the beginning of the season, you would have thought they would have won a lot more than than 59 games. And and yes, Brad Keller, I mean, continued at times to improve that early on he, he struggled with command, but was able to bounce back from that. And he's, he's kind of a sinker ball pitcher. So at times, I think early in the season, it's going to be tough because his arm's so live that the ball stays straighter. Um, so the fact that he kind of bounced back and, and was able um, to put together a pretty good season at his age, I mean, I think there are these progressions that you wanted to see. You thought, if, if you saw some of these, it was going to be a positive year. And, and I think, um, I mean, beyond Adalberto Montesi having to uh, undergo surgery, I mean, there were these progressions of these players who were going to be here that I think, um, I think matter and I think are positive going forward. I also think you can't discount what has happened within the farm system with a lot of these young pitchers um, coming along and, and staying healthy. And it's, it, I mean, you can never uh, take that for granted, and will it continue? I don't know. The Royals probably don't know either. It's it's something that it's hard to say, but to have seen the success that they've had thus far, that's a positive moving forward. And I, I just I think when you look at the whole thing, as you they won one more game than they did last year, but some of these progressions I think speak to a much larger point and to a much larger goal from the Royals front office um, that that these progressions matter and and i think this year in a sense you saw some of these that are important moving forward 
Yeah, I think when I talked to his fans about this season too, I mean, you never would have guessed the Royals lost 103 games. I mean, a lot of people said like it's the most fun you could have had with a team that lost 100 games just because we had Jorge Soler's home run chase and, and Whit Merrifield playing like an all-star and Hunter Dozier playing so well. And I think the farm, like you mentioned, the farm system, I think, gives fans a lot of hope. So in a, in a weird way, it's almost like Royals fans are almost kind of excited uh, about you know the team after 103 losses. Uh, and maybe I think a lot of that's also because the guys that – I guess they feel like most contributed to those losses. A lot of those guys aren't going to be around next year. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a really interesting. Um, it's an inter- interesting season to kind of view it as a, you know, maybe not a success, but certainly not uh, a big failure, even though they're the fourth worst team in baseball. It's interesting because as fans, you always, you're always looking for that, that, I mean, I'm sure that hope of uh, that, I guess, minute level of optimism that you can achieve and so I think it's natural for fans to be optimistic but I also think there has been reason for fans to be that and and I had somebody uh yesterday reach out and he's like I mean some of these stories like there's been optimism in some of your stories and I think it's like look I mean I can't discount the fact the Royals lost 15 they lost 103 games they only won 59 that's that's brutal and it's not ever what you want but I think if you look at what the Royals had at the beginning of the season in terms of the back end of their rotation and the bullpen and then you look at kind of what they did with with the guys who were going to be around it's just impossible not to have somewhat level of optimism and where this thing is going especially when you see that there are eight seven eight young starters who have, have really really performed at the high level which is the level that in this day and age, it's, it's getting harder and harder to perform well at. So I think that, again, the optimism is always natural as, as when you're, I guess, for fans. But when you look at it, uh, I mean, there's no way not to be when you, when you look at some of the developments that have occurred. Well, the season was capped off, of course, by the retirement of longtime skipper Ned Yost. And you were on hand for Ned's final press conference and some of the final ceremonies they had for him. What did you kind of take away from the from that final week with Ned Yost, and what do you think is Ned's legacy in Kansas City? You know, it's funny because I remember when I when I so I I graduated from the University of Missouri in May, and I went down um, as part of this this role. I went down to spring training in March, and I had people tell me like, "Oh boy, you're about to work with Ned Yost. Do you know <laughs> what that's going to be like?" I really, to be honest with you, did not know what it was going to be like. I remember one of the first spring training games. Um, that I was at, and after I was like, how ex- I remember asking him, how excited are you about, Sol- I think Solaire hit one like 4.30 or something, I was like, how excited are you about just what you've seen from Solaire? He's like, excited? Why would I be excited? This is spring training. He like yelled at me, and I was like, all right, here we go. And I'm again, I'm 20, I think at that time maybe I was even 21, and I was asking Ned Yost about this, and just, I mean, I, I thought Solaire showed a lot in spring training, and um, so over the year, I, I, I just kind of watched and marveled, and we had these beat writer meetings every day, and there were times where he'd make fun of me, and there were times where he'd make fun of others. And I think ultimately, though, I, my, my takeaway, and I, I try to pour this in, and, and the last story that I wrote on Ned from Sunday at The Athletic, I try to, to, to kind of pour in, like, this is a guy who challenges people, he goofs around with people, but in the end, he has fun with what he does because he's he's attempting, I think, in every sense, and I even think this was the case with the media, to, to like, push people along to help them improve. And I think with me, um, you know, it's funny, We after the game and after the, the last press conference, we walked in the clubhouse to talk to players and kind of, I mean, we kind of thanked them for the year and um just talked about what their their plans were for the offseason ned was covered in gatorade and he was it was all sticky and wet but he came up to me in the clubhouse and he was like he's like did you enjoy i mean i mean like we we had a one-on-one conversation i told him i was like i this year for me i learned so much work with these like that was what i tried to do every day is push you and i like even for me he's not my boss he has no stake i don't know and and I mean, maybe he feels like he has a stake in my career. I don't know why, but that, I mean, for me, it was kind of, that was, that was kind of my takeaway. It's like, this is a guy who genuinely enjoyed and had fun working with the people that he worked with every day. And as far as your question about his legacy in Kansas City, I mean, he's the all-time winningest manager. 
yes, there were times where the, where the organization, the team struggled, and maybe you didn't see development um, in areas that that you wanted to see them. And yes, these last couple few years have been tough, just in terms of losing. But he stuck around for those, and I think he stuck around because he knew he could handle some of the losses and set things up better for the next manager and not having to face the music sometimes that he faced. And I think that was a responsibility he welcomed. I think his legacy is, is again, he's the all-time winningest manager of the Royals. He, he, he won the 2015 World Series. And so I, I think his legacy will be very positive. I think people will look back in, in five, ten years and be like, wow, it's kind of amazing I mean, it's obviously amazing what, what he and that those teams accomplished. And I think, uh, I mean, at times, even during the tough times, we didn't give him, a cre- give him enough credit for just how much fun he made it for, for fans and, and people who enjoy and watch and welcome the organization. We'll have to see if his successor continues that verbal sparring with the, with the press, uh, which I think we we did kind of appreciate Ned uh, with Ned. Uh, you know, the Royals ought to fill their position now, and a lot of speculation is centered around Mike Matheny, who was hired last year for by the Royals as a special advisor after managing the Cardinals for six seasons. Uh, it's also been reported the Royals will consider bench coach Dale Swaim and quality control coach Pedro Grafal for the job, and even bullpen coach Vance Wilson has generated some buzz with his former manager uh, Jim Leyland kind of touting him as a potential managerial candidate. We haven't really heard any talk of external candidates. Of course, we haven't really been given much of a timeline on when the Royals hope to, to hire someone. So do you expect them to kind of fill this post internally, or do you, do you think they'll bring in some external candidates just to get a look at them? You know, I think they will consider all options. I know that's a very broad and probably like just <laughs> not. I'm not giving you much insight there, but I think I think truly to start this answer. I mean, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I think you're going to have to let a few things sort out before you figure figure this thing out. I mean, look, the the ownership group that will step in is not. Uh, I mean, it will be um, agreed upon at the owners' meetings, and so I think that it will play a little bit of a role in terms of the timetable. I also. A lot of the front office after the year kind of just gets away and goes to Arizona and, and watches the fall league and works with some of the younger instru- instructional league guys. So that's not to say they're not focused on, on hiring this next manager, but I think you, you got to kind of clear the, the mind, clear the space and decide what you want to do. Back to the initial question, I mean, I think they will consider all options. I think, as you mentioned, the obvious um, internal candidates are the Mike Matheny's, the Pedro Griffalls, the Dale Swames, the Vance Wilsons. I mean, I can speak specifically to each of those guys. I, I Pedro Griffalls is, so, is someone who I worked with closely all year. We had conversations all year. He played probably the biggest role in Jorge Soler's development of anybody. I mean, you got a guy, Dale Swaim, who, who, I mean, he is a guy who I remember, um, we talked to Bubba Starlin, we talked to Brett Phillips, and they would they, a bunch of these young guys, and they would talk about how they would have conversations with Dale, just like Eric Hosmer and, and Mike Moustakis did before games to kind of just reset their mind. And so he's a guy that's really respected. Vance Wilson, uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, but he's again, he was like the he he caught bullpens, but he also was played a huge role in kind of the pitching staff. I mean, I think there was a point at which this year where Cal Elgin told me, I think like Vance is almost like an assistant pitching coach, just in terms of his ability to kind of use the technology, the edgertronic rap Soto stuff, and also just work with the guys. He's very respected. He had two Tommy John surgeries as a player and has been through, I mean, his perspective is great. And then obviously Mike Matheny, who, um, I mean, at the time of Ned's, Retirement. You had a bunch of reporters um, kind of expressing that that he is expected to be the guy, and I think um, I mean as you look at the timetable of when he was brought in, it's somewhat similar to how Dayton um, worked with with Ned Yost, and and I think with Matheny, you you hear a lot about kind of the struggles and communication that he had with players in St. Louis, and even Ned has said this. He's like, you take a year off as as any professional in any field you you think about what you could have done better how things worked out how things uh didn't work out and you kind of assess how you need to improve and i i'm sure mike Matheny has done that and he's also a guy that again he's worked closely with some of the front office this year so 
he'll assuredly get a look. I just, back to what I said earlier, I think it, it will take some time and, and some clear space. And you have some external candidates that, that I mean, if I, I, I don't have any intel to tell me that they've interviewed or talked to the Raul Abanez, the Car- Carlos Beltrans of the world. But, I mean, I think if you're if you're a, a leader um, of an organization like the Royals, as Dayton Moore is, that your goal is to hire someone who you want kids to look up to, to want to play for, I mean, how could you not kind of give a look at some of those guys who performed at the highest level and have ties to both Latin players and, and, and American players? So I think um, all of these options – totally makes sense i think it'll take time to iron out but the good thing is there are a lot of options and there are a lot of options that i think make sense um for certain types of things i think in this day and age a manager for an mlb team is someone who who has to have a knowledge of of the farm system has to have a knowledge of analytics and so i think all of these things will be taken into account by dayton moore and and he will not miss on this hire. I don't think he can. So um, that's that's where I'd put it. It will be an interesting off season of, of transition. You know, the first you know hiring a manager, I'm sure, is first uh, priority right now. But uh, you know, obviously, they want to improve upon a team that lost 103 games. And I know Dayton Moore, you know, doesn't you know doesn't, doesn't really like losing very much. And and I can see him perhaps wanting to to really go out and improve this team i know it's been it's hard to say like what the royals will do this offseason especially with new ownership coming in we don't really know what direction john sherman the new owner wants to bring this team but is there anything you're kind of expecting this offseason or maybe uh maybe something you think they should do i mean what are you kind of looking forward to this offseason you know i think it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, from a starting pitching standpoint and probably even in the bullpen a little bit and last year they obviously took the flyer on Homer Bailey, and it paid off in a sense. And so I think, um, I mean, as you look at these starting pitchers, you look at guys who, who will probably be in those roles next year. I mean, I think Brad Keller is, of course, the obvious shoe and I think you're going to continue to give Mike Montgomery chances because then you acquired him to, to be a starting pitcher. But then, I mean, Jacob Junis was, was pretty, I guess he was fine this year and, and kind of performed to the same extent that he did um in 2018 so i think you're going to need to see improvement there and i think beyond that i mean danny duffy is is gotten up there he performed really well to end the year so i think um as you're looking at next year maybe if you need another starter and, and just have, have such a um <laughs> a limited uh plethora of of guys to use maybe he started again but i think in terms of his age and his health maybe he fits better in the bullpen and and works better with these young guys beyond that i just don't really know what you have from a bullpen standpoint i think i mean ian kennedy was obviously solid but you the question is uh i mean is his value now this offseason the highest it's going to get maybe you move him this offseason um and then you got a guy in scott barlow and tim hill who were also solid but they're not going to really blow you away barlow was really good uh to end the year but not going to blow you away so i think I mean, I have to think there will be moves made and flyers taken on some some pitchers in these areas. To your point, I don't think the John Sherman-led ownership group is going to come in here and like try to go swing Garrett Cole because that would be like <laughs> ri- ridiculously nuts. Um, so I, I, I again, I just I don't think you're going to see anything crazy, but I think you'll see uh, the Royals take some flyers and uh, on certain guys. <laughs> I don't think Lucas Duda will be one of those guys this offseason. I don't know. Uh, I, you never count that out. <laughs> I, guess, I, guess you, I guess you never know. But I, I think that's the one area that's going to be most fascinating um, just in terms of this offseason. I mean, in terms of other storylines, you want to see how Monacy develops uh, in terms of his rehab after he undergoes surgery. I think – a guy that people aren't really talking much about, Suley Matthias had such an interesting year and kind of an interesting end of the year as he did in 2018. So you want to see him. Uh, I mean, he's back after having hand surgery. He's actually back swinging off the tee and, and, and soft toss. So I think his development um, is going to be interesting to watch. And so I think those are a few off-season storylines. But from an acquisition uh, standpoint, I think pitching has to be the area in which the Royals kind of uh, double down on it and and try to shore up and figure it out ahead of next year. 
I did want to touch upon an interesting article you wrote recently about uh, what the Royals were doing with analytics this season. Uh, kind of, they were moving JJ Piccolo onto an on-field coordinator role, created some new department titles for areas of study. And I know uh, much of what they're doing is probably behind a black box, and they don't want their proprietary secrets printed at the Athletic. Uh, but what was kind of your take on where the Royals are with analytics right now? You know, I think they're very. Uh, I, I think they have gotten to a place. Through, through that, my reporting and that story, they've gotten to a place where they see the value um, in analytics. It's not. This is not. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not new. It's obviously not something that the Royals now see the value in. I think they've. There are people in the front office and, and certain positions that have always seen the value in this and, and the value in terms of it. Not only evaluating players, but also developing players. And so, I think this this move. Um, to have J.J. Piccolo kind of as a field coordinator roving around and, and um, easing communication levels between players and coaches and front office, I think it kind of just speaks to, to their realizing how big of a, a, of a thing this can be in terms of player development. And J.J. obviously will still be the farm director, and he's, he's still doing the duties that he's always done um, under Dayton Moore and the relationship they've had, but he's also – um, now I think just again easing the communication cycle between front office, um, the farm system, coaches, and the players, and, and using some of these analytics and that uh, numbers and, and obviously intel taken from these Rapsodo systems, Edgertronic cameras, blast motion swing kind of um, swing tools that they can track uh, at least like um, the obvious exit velocity type stuff, but also kind of plain swing plane type things. I think um, it speaks to my comment kind of on the manager earlier. I mean, in this day and age, player development, you saw yesterday, I mean, we're talking on Wednesday, yesterday the Reds hired um, Kyle Bodie, who, who obviously created driveline baseball, and, and he's kind of overseeing the entire pitching development um, role in their farm system. And so I think in this day and age, player development is one way in which teams with small market values, the small market um, can improve quicker and, and to a lesser degree monetarily than, than, I mean, obviously the Yankees can go buy players. The Dodgers can go pl- buy players. The Astros have shown that they're at times going to buy players, but they've also um, been a market that's, focused a ton on player development and for a team like the Royals that's not going to go out and again go grab Garrett Cole this offseason they need to develop pitchers and players and, and honestly to a larger and better degree than other organizations so I think this move and, and to have Alex Zumwalt as the, the club's like hitting coordinator and Paul Gibson as pitching coordinator to streamline communication can only help just in terms of what the players and, and and coaches expect. And, and, you know, it's funny, there were a bunch of minor leaguers at Kauffman Stadium last Friday night. Brady Singer was there. Chris Bubich was there. And, I, and Jonathan Heasley was another pitcher in the system. And I talked to a lot of them about these types of analytics and what they've heard. And I know the Royals have tailored everything to these specific guys. Brady Singer's not a guy who uses a ton of technology and numbers to, to, to implement, to improve. I mean, he's a guy who's, who goes a lot on field. Chris Bubich, on the other hand, is a guy who wants to know the numbers and wants to know what he's seen. And then Jonathan Heatley's kind of in the middle there. And so I think the Royals realize that every player is different. Every player's development is going to be different. And so why not assess from a from a front office level, which is J.J. Piccolo, obviously, what certain guys need and what the coaches need to do to help certain guys. So I think this move um, just kind of speaks to where the Royals are in terms of understanding and realizing that they need to be out on the forefront in terms of player development and utilizing analytics to develop players moving forward. Well, the season's over, but that doesn't necessarily mean your work is over. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on this offseason, what you're up to, uh, and what we can expect from you at The Athletic. Yeah, for sure. Um, so after we get off this phone, I will be uh, transcribing a bunch of <laughs> – bunch of interviews just in terms of uh, with hitting coaches and pitching coaches and a bunch of the players and what they want to see and improve this offseason. Some fascinating stuff kind of on like what Bubba Starling needs to do to improve. Um, I mean, I talked to Brett Phillips who's getting married this offseason. It's pretty 
interesting just in terms of his mindset on how the year went and and Cal Zimmer who was like mentally this was the uh, Superman of roller coasters in terms of the year he's had so I'll, I'll touch on a lot of these guys and then I also have and I mentioned these these big minor league pitchers were at the K last week I mean I have a lot a lot of stuff from those guys and what they're working on and what kind of trips they're taking this offseason there's there's some fascinating stuff planned for this large crop of pitchers that the Royals um, have kind of laid out and, and want to see growth both on the diamond but also just in their collaboration connection just as as people and friends together and it's funny a lot of these guys have certain group texts and and messages and group me's whatever with each other and they goof around with each other and that's even guys at different levels so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to take readers inside what a lot of these relationships are like and, and also I want to dig deeper in terms of the analytical stuff now the Royals um, are using these numbers and, and to kind of look at player development so I think this entire offseason will obviously entail those as well as the managerial search I think we'll try at the athletic to be um, out on the forefront I mean we've already I talked to Pedro Grafal and what he wants and what he expects and and so we'll have more of those types of stories as time moves on I'll be in Atlanta and St. Louis for the NLDS and hoping to kind of get some intel on Mike Messini in a sense so um, yeah no a lot coming at the athletic so if you have not check us out at theathletic.com and um, just kind of dedicated to providing the best uh, kind of inside, just inside looks at certain aspects of the Royals this offseason, which is going to be an essential offseason for the Royals as is next season. You have so many of these young guys trying to prove themselves. You only get so much time to prove yourself, I think. And so I think next year is going to be fascinating to see which guys can do it, which guys cannot do it, and, and um, who's kind of pulling the strings above the system in terms of who's the manager as, as these guys try to prove themselves. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to reading all that in The Athletic. And I do appreciate that you guys, I think, take the time to do kind of the more in-depth stories since you're not kind of writing on a daily, you know, game beat recaps. Uh, I think you do get a chance to kind of delve into these issues a little more in-depth. So I, re- I really appreciate that. I do highly recommend a subscription to The Athletic, and what, like, which, like you said, is available at theathletic.com. They're always running discounts and specials, so definitely check them out. Alec, thanks so much for uh, being on the show. I appreciate it. No, thank you, Max. This was fun. And, and yeah, to the athletic point, I mean, it's, it's like you got Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal and guys who um, I mean, have been doing this for so, so long. And, and guys who genuinely, guys and girls, obviously, who genuinely love baseball. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that the athletic has done is, is um, I mean, we, they've hired a ton of people who genuinely love the game and love pushing the game in, a, in an optimistic way. So that's a cool, cool thing for us. But no, I appreciate you having me on, Max. This was fun. Y'all do a great job over at Royals Review, y'all really do. So, um, yeah, no, definitely. I appreciate it. We're back, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing this evening? Great. Ready for some playoff baseball. Without the Royals, unfortunately, but, yeah, the playoffs have been pretty exciting. I think we we saw the second most exciting wild card game ever last night with the uh, Washington Nationals staging a Royals-like comeback. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I, unfortunately, before the game yesterday, I decided, you know what? I'm going to root for the Brewers throughout the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had the support of many Royals fans because of Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakas. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have any of that Royals devil magic left uh, or HDH in that bullpen for that matter. So uh, the Brewers do have a quick exit from the postseason, uh, but at least they got to experience the postseason. The Royals, of course, uh, we're far, far away from making the postseason this year. The season now officially over for them. They did improve by one game, winning 59 games and losing 103, their second straight 100-loss uh, season. Uh, but doesn't mean it was a total loss. The Royals did see some bright performances from some young players this year. Matthew, what was kind of your take on the season, and, and do you feel like the Royals are on the right track despite a season that was pretty much a duplicate of, of the year before? Yeah, you know, I think generally, you know, you can get and uh, kind of nitpicky with this uh, or critical, uh, depending on your on your point of view. But I think generally the Royals are on the right track. That doesn't mean that I think they're doing it the most efficiently as possible. I think they would be on a right-er track if they had traded Danny Duffy, you know, um, 
a few years ago when they had the chance, if they had traded Whit Merrifield, you know, in the off season last year or mid season this year, um, you know, they, they haven't been very efficient with using their, um, their roster spots to give time and, uh, you know, give playing time to players who might be good for the team in the future. An example of this would be Lucas Duda and Brian Goodwin, uh, Brian Goodwin, uh, got cut in favor of Lucas Duda, who is predictably terrible. Meanwhile, Brian Goodwin, who's multiple years younger and has um, years of control left, um, guess what? He was pretty good for the Angels, and he would have been one of the better hitters for the Royals this year. Um, so, so there are definitely things to criticize. However, if you look at sort of the broad strokes of what's going on, the Royals minor league system is much better. Next year, they're going to have another top draft pick, uh, number four. Uh, overall, um, and they could have the potential to have um, a pick in the 30s and a pick in the 40s, depending on what happens with the competitive balance pick. Um, and so, you know, they've got that part set up. They've got um, a number of players who could make their debut uh, next year who weren't just like players like, you know, Umberto Arteaga or Nick Denny or something. They're like actual prospects, right? So we could see guys like Brady Singer, Jackson Coar. Um, you know, Khalil Lee maybe. Um, and so they, they've done a lot better with the farm system. And the other thing, and I'm going to write an article about this um, a little bit later in the offseason, but the Royals are really well set up uh, for the future in terms of um, contracts, right? So after, I think it is 2022, like they don't have like anything. They've got Whit Merrifield's money, but that's, that's about it. So like on a long term um, and... I don't expect them to add to it this year Uh, on a long term. They're pretty clear and they don't have like a big group of players that will demand uh, large contracts all at the same time. Like they did, um, you know, when 2017 rolled around with Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas and Lawrence O'Kane and everything. Um, So they're really well set up in the future financially. Um, They've got a farm system that's just getting better and they are, doing the things that rebuilding teams do, which is sign players to short deals, try to flip players at the deadline. Again, I don't think they're as efficient with it as they could be, but they're on the right track. You know, they're going in the right direction. No, I think that's a really good point about, uh, you know, how, how efficient they're being, or I guess how quickly they're getting to where they need to be. But, uh, you know, because it doesn't, you look at this team, it doesn't really seem like, like where the maybe Astros were in 2013 or 2012, where, Everyone, you know, they were losing a lot of games, but everyone's like, yeah, you know, they're building a team that, as Sports Illustrated put them on the cover, saying they're going to win the World Series in, you know, six years or whatever, five years. Uh, I guess six years because uh, that ended up, ended up being very, very prophetic. Uh, it doesn't feel like the Royals are in that position yet, uh, but they're, you know, kind of inching their way along. Sean, do you feel like this team is maybe making baby steps or, or do you feel like they're kind of – uh, st- uh, spinning their wheels at this point in the rebuild process. You know, I still think I think they're still trying to do a little bit of the best of both worlds in the sense that they they might think that their timeline is a little closer than it is um, because you know if you were going to do the full rebuild, you know, you would have traded with Merrifield already. You probably would have traded Danny Duffy and Ian Kennedy. Most certainly would have been traded as well. Um, so they're still holding on to those guys with the idea, I think, that they're expecting. Um, to compete maybe a little quicker than expected. I wonder if the organization just thinks they're maybe, you know, two good pitchers away from competing. Um, if if they see it as like Keller and Junis, and then throw in two other pitchers, and then I don't know, you can pick a fifth starter. Danny Duffy works, I guess. Um, so something in that case, I think that I, th- I think that they're still trying to retool when they should be rebuilding necessarily. Um, where it's at, or as it, you know. Are they on the right track? Um, I wasn't able in time to uh, be part of that article, um, but I, you know, I'm not sure if they're on track in the sense that uh, if you match their timeline with the Cubs or the Astros or any kind of you know um, example of the rebuild and then you know the timeline of that, I don't know if they're really there just yet. I, I would say that they're kind of in the middle. I'm not going to say that they're not on track because they've added, um, you know, several good pieces to the farm system, to the draft. 
Um, so that's obviously a step in the right direction. Um, but there still are things holding them back that, you know, aren't part of that classical rebuild model in a way. And it doesn't seem like they're trying to fit that model. So I think it's a really nuanced discussion to try to understand where they're at um, or if they're on the right track. Um, but uh, part of me says yes, part of me says no. Um, so I think that I think it's unclear um, what track they're even on to begin with and where they are along that path. No, I think you're right that they're definitely not taking like the Cubs model of just tear it all down, sell off every asset, strip everything for its parts. Uh, and I don't know if any of us really expect them to do that. It just doesn't seem to be their MO. I will, in defense of what they're doing, say that you really it's really more difficult now to do that model. Uh, and I know some other teams have, but when you have so many teams trying to kind of do rebuilds at the same time. The, the trade markets, frankly, changed a little bit where teams aren't really giving up as many prospects, uh, at least for position players, as they did in the past. Uh, and so when you have a crowd, kind of a glut of sellers, it makes it a little more difficult to do that. So I kind of get why the Royals maybe haven't traded a Whit Merrifield for that reason. But I think you are right. That, you know, I think if you really wanted to be aggressive and move him, you probably could and get something for him. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe the Royals could be a little more aggressive doing that. But, Matthew, you know, I, I think there is a possibility that they um, consider that, hey, maybe we are just a couple players away from being decent. I've heard a couple of fans say that as well. It's like, well, we've got, you know, a couple of decent, you know, you know borderline stars and like Hunter Whitmerfield and Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier and Brad Keller look pretty nice. And if a couple of these pitchers turn out nice and, and like you said, we've got the financial flexibility – you know, maybe it's not 20, maybe it's not 2021. Maybe it's 2022. If we extend, say, Jorge Soler and add a couple pitchers to the free agent market, if you squint, are the Royals semi-competitive, or is that kind of is that maybe a delusion that's going to you know inhibit them from really making the right choices in a full rebuild? What I really worry about is them thinking, hey, we can really make a good you know jump back in 2020, and I think that's a little little far out there. You know, obviously it's going to be difficult to to tell what is going to happen, especially this offseason with a new owner and a new manager. It's it's a lot of change, hard to predict. Um, but yeah, as an update to what I said earlier, so in 2021, the Royals already now have $36 million committed um, in guaranteed uh, money to Duffy, Perez, and Merrifield. The very next year, 2022, they have $2.75 million, and that's just Merrifield. So that's basically nothing. So, you know, I think 2022, I think they could be competitive. Um, 2021 is kind of pushing it. The way that I see it is that 2011, if you all remember it, um, Eric Hosmer came up, Mike Moustakis came up, uh, Danny Duffy came up. Uh, even guys that didn't really pan out that well, you know, Johnny Giovatella came out, Lewis Coleman, um, and obviously Salvador Perez. There was basically a lot of players who came up and made their debuts. And the Royals that year were still really bad. But a lot of players came up, and you can sort of say, okay, this is going to be the, the form of the team, how these players do, and it's going to be, you know, start to affect um you know, the future. And I kind of think that 2020 is a little bit like 2011 is going to be, I think we're going to see maybe three or four pitchers. Um, maybe not necessarily the, the, you know, the, the big five, but we could see other pitchers, um, make their way to the bullpen. I think potentially next year, if the bullpen is as bad as it was this year, um, we could see a couple of position players, you know, make, uh, make their debut. I think, 2020 and 2021 are kind of going to be like 2011. And then if you think about it, it wasn't a couple of years until they started winning. You know, they posted a winning record in 2013. So I think, I think the 2021, 2022, I think that's, that's definitely reasonable. However, it does depend on how good the pitchers are. And that's a sort of terrifying proposition considering a, the Royals history with pitchers and B just, pitchers are you know they break your heart so it'll be really interesting to watch and i i hope the royals don't jump the gun this upcoming season um but if they added some free agents starting you know in 2021 i think they could be they could be competitive that year i don't know if they'll be a playoff team but i think they could easily have a winning season if some of their players pan out in 2021 yeah i see the royals there's definitely being on the track of like jumping up to be like a 78 to 82 win team by 
2022, maybe even by 2021. I mean, especially if some of these pitchers come up pretty quickly and are, you know, are decent-ish. Um, if they can add a couple free agents because of that flexibility, there shouldn't be any reason why they can't, uh, you know, get. and if they get a little lucky maybe with finding some players, they can be a 500 team, no problem. I think the harder thing is how do they get from 80 wins to 95 wins? And remember, you know, like, it's it's harder to make the playoffs now with these stacked teams. I mean, the Royals won 95 games in 2015, and they were the best team in the American League. If you won 95 games this year, you would have missed the playoffs in the American League. So it's not just a matter of being good. You have to be really, really good and then be able to beat the Astros in the playoffs somehow. And they look like they're going to be loaded for the next couple of years at least, as well as the Yankees, as well as you know all these other teams that are um, investing a lot of money and, and, and on the cutting edge. Of, of a lot of analytics so I don't know I guess that's the next chapter uh, and the Royals will kind of have to show how smart they are so I think I feel like they're on their way I feel like they are on the right track uh, but they're kind of on the right track of being respectable again I don't know if they're necessarily on the right track of being a contender um, but that being said I think you know this was a positive season in the fact that we did see progress from the farm system we did see some kind of tent pole guys to build around in Dozier and Merrifield Monesey, I think there's still a little bit of question mark just because his health, uh, but I think he did hold his own at least at the plate. Um, we, Brad Keller, I think, was pretty encouraging. Um, still a lot of holes to be filled, uh, but I guess we can talk about that a little bit when it comes to the off season, Sean. You know, there we don't. I think there hasn't been a lot of clue on what the Royals are going to do this off season. You know, obviously the new ownership is going to have a lot to do with that. Um, but if you were in, if you if John Sherman tabbed you to run this team. What do you think the Royals should do this winter? What should kind of be their priorities or what kind of uh, direction you, would you be leading this team? Yeah. I mean, it comes down to clearing up 40 man spots. Um, I mean, one open up 40 man spots for the rule five draft and, and, you know, taking as many guys as you kind of can in the rule five draft. Um, meanwhile, opening those spots via trades, I mean, Jorge Soler is a really good trade candidate. I don't know what he would get because um, his valuation is really kind of hard to determine. But um, he's a he's a trade candidate. Ian Kennedy eating some of his money is a good trade candidate. Um, same thing with uh, Danny Duffy, seeing what you can get there. Obviously, with Merrifield is a good trade candidate. So, um, you know, I know we just talked about that. The kind of clean house isn't necessarily the Royals' way or the way that we think they're going to take. But um, that would be that be my idea. I mean. You can't just let – and, I mean, Whit Merrifield still had a good year, but I think his Fangraphs war was at half, I want to say, what it was last year. Um, I think it was 5.2 last year. It was 2.9 this year. So, last I look, I think it was about half. So, there's about 60-ish percent um, of what he was last year. And, you know, part of that is just kind of his defense was down. Um, but it's on par with pretty close to what he did in 2017 as well. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I think that's I think that's a good example of just you can't let these good players, you know, quote unquote, go to waste on a hundred lost team and now back to back hundred lost team um, with next year looking to be probably just as rough um, in some capacity, whether it be ninety five losses as opposed to hundred and three. Um, you know, that's that's kind of nitpicking a bit. I mean, anything more than ninety losses is pretty bad. Um, so I, I think that's what you have to start with is completely you know tearing down and getting rid of because if you're going to rebuild rebuild um and that's the the path the royals i think should be taking and matthew you kind of wrote a little bit about how the royals you know got some really impressive performances this year uh but yet (laughs) we're still pretty bad how would you kind of look to rectify that i mean uh and what what do you have any kind of guesses on what you think the royals will do i know you warned against uh you know kind of getting the rebuild jump started uh but what what is it, do you have any kind of clues on what you think the royals will try to accomplish this offseason well i think what the royals should accomplish and what the royals will try to accomplish are two different things i mean we've dayton moore's been around for forever we know what he's gonna do he's gonna sign some gritty utility player to more money than he's worth he's gonna go out and try to find uh bullpen guys with like at like bargain basement prices and still overpay for them he's basically just gonna use a, a bunch of money i i expect maybe 10 or 15 million dollars on just kind of like filler 
kind of guys to try to flip them at the deadline, but also to tr- just try to be respectable. We know he's he's going to do that. And what he should do, really, is he should be just trying to throw more things at the wall to see if they'll stick. So the Royals last year, um, they used a lot of players who were, just weren't very valuable. Um, and the problem is not necessarily that they weren't very valuable, but they used a bunch of players who weren't very valuable and also just they don't have any potential, right? So uh, guys like uh, Duda, Hamilton, um, you know, Chris Owings, uh, those guys, they're just not that, – that's waste of spots. You know, you're, the Royals are going to be bad. And to Sean's point, what they should be doing is they should be just trying to throw as many things at the wall to see if they'll stick, you know. Um, like Terrence Score, they should have really – in this year, they should have doubled down on him and played him a lot more just to see if they, you know, had – something that was more than just, you know, Terra score speedy guy. Um, that's what they really should be doing. Uh, with every available spot, they should be filling it with young guys who, um, they can acquire for cheaply either because they're blocked in other organizations or because the Royals think that they can unlock something in them. That's what they should be doing. Um, they won't do that as much as they should because that's Dane Moore's MO is to, use veterans um, and because he values them not only in the clubhouse, but on the field. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think we all kind of know what's going to happen, which is Moore's going to go out and sign a couple of guys who you go, huh, I don't know if they're going to be worth that money. Um, And then for the guys that they, they do sign, he'll probably look to trade them for upper minors type of guys um, rather than, you know, low minors, high upside guys. So, We've just we've just sort of known what what more is going to do for for a while. That's that's just the curse of him being general manager for so long. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think you're on the right track. I think they, yeah, I, I agree that what they probably should do is, is just kind of adding as much young talent as they can and kind of see what sticks. I you know the, the Ryan McBroom trade in September I think was a perfect example of just a guy that's you know freely available talent, but intriguing enough that like if he gets an opportunity maybe maybe you've got something and if he's not worth anything then you can just kind of kind of wash your hands of him and not really be out anything um and i I don't think he like set the world on fire in september but you know i'm certainly willing to give him maybe an extended look next year but i think next year should be the kind of year where they do get a long look and commit to playing brett phillips every day in the outfield get a long look at ryan ahern and see him play every day at first base see what nicky lopez can do hopefully a bulked up nicky lopez uh, and see what he can do at second base, uh, because this is kind of the year you find out what you have in those players, and and be on lookout. Like Sean said, look for guys that are getting placed on waivers that are available in the Rule Five. You gotta be sucking up any kind of young talent you think is worth anything that you can, in the hopes of finding the one or two gems that are like Hunter Dozier that suddenly just kind of you know find a new uh, level performance. Uh, but <laughs> and I think they will do some of that. But I also know that losing really wears on Dayton Moore, and I think it's really embarrassing to him that they've lost 100 games back-to-back years. Uh, you, you mentioned the payroll. I was just looking at baseball reference. They do a really good job projecting uh, payroll based on salaries and, and arbitration and all that, and they've got $60 million committed to next year with contracts. Uh, and they're really the only arbitration cases that they would have are Jorge Soler, who's probably going to opt into arbitration, and uh, Mike Montgomery, so maybe add another $10 million there. And so that's, you know, $70 million payroll. I would guess with new ownership, they probably want to keep it on the lean and mean side. So maybe Dayton Moore would have 10 to $20 million to play with at the most, I think. Um, so that's enough to go out and either, you know, fill in a bunch of gaps with like, you know, Brad Boxberger type, you know, reclamation projects. Um, or maybe go out and get one decentish starting pitcher if that's what he wants to do. And I kind of feel like that is what they're going to do. Maybe... Um, you know, make a trade for some, you know, older veteran that um, a t- another team doesn't want or, you know, sign a shorter team. I don't think he's going to sign anyone to a kind of a long-term Ian Kennedy type deal again, but maybe a guy that's, you know, willing to take a two-year deal um, that, um, you know, maybe he's on the downside of his career. Uh, I could see that happening. And, you know, I guess it's not my money, but, but rather really I'd like to see more of those opportunities go to younger players. Now, if there is an opportunity to maybe get a guy like take on a bad contract, which they haven't really been willing to do in the past, uh, but take on a bad contract to get some young talent as well. 
then then that'd be great. I think that'd be good use of that uh, that resource. But um, we'll have to see. I don't know. It's it's gonna be. I think there are a lot of unknowns going into this offseason just because we don't know what ownership is going to do. We don't necessarily even know if Dayton Moore is going to be the GM. I mean, I think we all presume he'll be the GM. Uh, and there's no indication that he won't be. But uh, with new ownership, you never quite know. Uh, so we'll have to see how it all shakes out in the offseason. Uh, we do know the team will have a different manager. And I know we talked a little bit last week about some of the internal candidates. I think we all kind of expressed great concern with uh, Mike, the possibility of Mike Matheny being the next manager. I did want to bring up a couple kind of names from outside the organization that are out there. Seems, you know, there's usually when you think of like, you know, managers available, it's usually kind of retreads that, you know, like Buddy Bell that have lost a lot of games and got fired. There are actually a lot of good quality managers out there that are available. Uh, John Farrell, Joe Girardi, Clint Hurdle, and Joe Madden, all of them have been to the World Series. Um, three of those, Farrell, Girardi, and Madden, have won championships. So they're all kind of out there. And, Sean, I don't know if you had any takes on whether or not those guys would be willing to come to Kansas City, whether or not the Royals should even be interested in that kind of a manager when they're going through a rebuild. What's kind of your take on any kind of external managers, especially some of the bigger names out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of those bigger names are coming here. I mean, not when, like, the Padres have an opening um, or even the Angels have an opening or, you know, kind of – Maybe not bigger markets, but what I think team or what I think a manager or a prospective manager would see as better opportunities. Um, it's tough to convince someone to come join a hundred and three loss team that isn't playing in New York or Chicago, which I I've, I don't know what the Cubs record was when Madden joined them. Um, but I mean, you know, they went to go he went to go be the manager of the Cubs, which is a little different kind of prestige and idea than coming to the Royals after they've just lost 103 wins. So um, I think it'll be somebody internally as opposed to a big external hire. Um, You know, typically money wins out in ideas like this, but I don't think there's a big idea. Uh, First off, we don't really know what managers make uh, for the most part. And, you know, there's only so much a team is going to spend on a manager. So I think internal is the way it's going to go. Uh, who now who between internally it could be I, I don't know it seems like the the safe money is on Matheny but it still remains to be seen that there was some there was a tweet maybe today or yesterday that was saying that no decision has been made they're still kind of mulling people and it'll be a slow process but um, it's tough at this point to not bet on Matheny being the the manager come uh, April 1st 2020 I think I did read that uh, Madden was making six million dollars per year he was the highest paid manager in baseball i'd be kind of interested in seeing if he matches that or comes close to that on the free agent market i know the angels seem pretty interested in him and he seems pretty interested in going there he's from or he he has a home in southern california seems like he's probably a pretty good match for that job um and of course like you say san diego would also be a very attractive job there's five other jobs open other than the royals the, the the angels padres giants uh and pirates are also and cubs are also out there as well uh, Matthew, what do you think are uh, the possibilities of the Royals getting a bigger name? Uh, maybe someone that can has experience to kind of guide a young team like this. Uh, you know, I, I, it's it's possible, but I think first of all, there are so many openings, um, and that's not always the case. You know, sometimes there's only a couple of openings. Uh, this year, there's a lot of openings for varying reasons. Um, and you know, Joe Madden is intriguing, but he's 65. He's the same age as Ned Yost is. Um, so I. I'm not entirely certain that the Royals would want to go with someone like him. I think the Royals maybe would want to go with someone younger, maybe who could stay with it for the long haul, you know, maybe, you know, like, no, like, like yo stay around for another 10 years. Um, if, if they're successful, um, I do think like Sean, that it'll probably be an internal hire, but I do think there is a possibility of the Royals going outside the organization to get someone who, um, is less heralded with less experience. Um, just a couple of names off the top of my bet, uh, off the top of my head, you know, Raul Labanios, Carlos Beltran, those kind of guys, um, you know, and depend on how analytically inclined Sherman is, maybe someone like, uh, Tommy Hatavi, Hatavi. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Hatavi, yeah. Hatavi, yeah. Some, I said Hatavi. Hatovi. Um, you probably remember he pitched for the Royals like for like three right, innings, so I should probably remember how Ryan Lefevre <laughs> pronounced his name, but I don't. Um, you, you, so one of those guys, I think. So either it's either going to be an internal, or if they do go external, I think they're not going to go for the obvious choices and are going to go for someone someone like that who um, 
Sherman and Moore like um, and are going to give a, a chance to, you know, the fact that the Angels and Padres and Cubs, you know, have, have openings like that's, that's uh, a lot of sort of big name teams uh, or teams that play in, in really nice climates. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with Sean. I don't, I don't think it's likely that they get someone big. But, you know, if Sherman wants to make a splash, that, that'd be how to do it is to get, you know, Madden or Girardi. Yeah, I think you're right. The Royals will probably have to wait until, like, the musical chairs of, of, of openings uh, plays out a little bit. I think, you know, the Cubs are obviously going to be an attractive place to, to manage, the, the Padres because of their talent, the Angels because they have the best player in baseball and it's Southern California and a, a bigger market. Uh, and also, there might be some more openings. I mean, there's talk the Phillies may end up firing Gabe Kapler, so that could be another uh, position that opens up as well. And we don't really know the timeline of when the Royals are planning to hire anyone. I mean, I don't know if it has to wait for John Sherman to officially get uh, approved as owner. I know I'm sure he's probably talking with management about uh, you know what he wants uh, as far as a manager. I'm sure you know he. He's probably going to leave it to the baseball men, but he may have his own ideas as well. So we don't really know what the timetable is. I know base, usually during the playoffs, there's kind of a quiet period where, you know, the teams don't make a lot of noise about, you know, who they're bringing in and who, what, you know, who they're going to hire. But, you know, the Royals are kind of want to bring people in before too long. Uh, already, you know, I said Madden is, you know, kind of connecting himself to the Angels job. Uh, Joe Girardi has been talked a lot about the Cubs job since he's from that area, went to Northwestern. So it'll be interesting. You know, Girardi should be in pretty high demand, I would think. I think Madden definitely is going to be the number one free agent out there. John Farrell's a guy that I kind of forgot about. I mean, just hasn't been – he's been off the radar for a year. Uh, but, you know, he won uh, a championship in his first season, um, had a couple successful seasons in Boston, had a couple really disappointing – a couple last-place finishes in Boston too. Uh, and it kind of, you know, ended poorly with a clubhouse in disarray. And, you know, a lot of people – I think kind of blame that on man, you know, Dave Dombrowski and, and David Price in that clubhouse a little bit more than Farrell. But I, I do wonder if he would be maybe an, an intriguing candidate to, to at least bring in as someone that has won before. But I think Matthew's right. I think you kind of want a younger guy, someone that's probably more, um, on, you know, the trend is to get like young guys on the cutting edge of analytics. Rocco Baldelli of the Twins, I think, is a good example of that. Uh, and I think that's probably the direction the Royals would go if they don't go with an internal hire. Raul Ubanez makes a lot of sense, I think, in that regard. He's, I don't know what his stance is on analytics, but he seems to be, like, super well-regarded around baseball, and, like, every team is interested in bringing him on in some capacity. So, uh, you know, obviously he's got a lot of respect out there. The Royals have a lot of respect for him. They know what he's capable of as a, as a leader, and so I can see him being a really strong candidate as well. Carlos Beltran uh, as well. I, I, I think one of you mentioned last week how the Astros brought him in specifically for his his leadership uh, and that was detailed in the book Astro Ball so I think he would be a really strong candidate as well uh, and so yeah there's there I think you know the Royals probably keep a very open mind about it and I like I said last week I think they should really strongly consider external names just because you know the last three four years haven't exactly been a great endorsement of the way things that have you know they've been doing things the last couple of years and it may be time to bring in someone who's done things a little bit differently from the Astros organization or the Dodgers organization or the Rays or the A's, someone that um, can bring you like a breath of fresh air and kind of really mark a new era in Royals baseball. So, um, you know, really I'm any ABM, anyone but Matheny, but um, there are some interesting names out there uh, that, that I think the Royals should, would be wise to at least take a look at. Um, I did kind of want to wrap up with um, just talk about the postseason a little bit. Uh, Sean, you have uh, your postseason picks. Yeah, um, I'm, I I made what I thought was a stupid decision of picking the Nationals to win the wild card uh, in the, the NL. The Kansas City Chiefs of the of the Major League Baseball with, yeah. with their postseason record. Yep, I went to bed at whatever it was, um, and the eighth inning. Right as Michael e. Taylor came to bed, I was like, okay, they're going to lose this, and, and went to bed. Um, so it, that was a nice surprise to to wake up and see that. Um, let me see. I do. And then I, I'm fairly certain I picked the A's to beat the Rays, um, which is looking like a bad pick at this point. I'm trying to pull up my picks. Uh, oh gosh, but I, I can't find them. Uh, oh, here we are. Uh, and so, yeah, A's over the Rays. And then I had the Nationals over the Brewers to so write on that. But um, I have Twins over Yankees. I That was like a 50-50 game for me, basically. 
Um, I never noticed this, but someone pointed this out to me that the Twins have played the Yankees like five times in the playoffs, like over the past decade, basically, and have just gotten stomped every single year by the Yankees. <laughs> um, I never noticed that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I knew about the wild card game last year, but like, it's like they lost 0 for 3, 0 for 3, 0 for, you know, or 1 for 3. I mean, it was like just terrible how badly the Yankees have beaten them. But I picked the Twins. Um, I think everybody has the Astros over the wild card winner, um, and I have the Astros over the A's. Um, the real toss-up, another toss-up was Braves over the Cardinals. Um, I think the betting odds have the Braves as the runaway winners, but it's actually probably a pretty close matchup according to, like, Zip's uh, playoff odds. So uh, I have the Braves over the Cardinals. Um, and then I'm pretty sure everybody also has the Dodgers over the wild card winner, um, which is another kind of a mismatch. Uh, so really for me, the ALCS comes, or the championship series comes down to Astros over Twins and Dodgers over Braves, um, which sets us up for, you guessed it, another Astros-Dodgers uh, World Series. And I've got the Dodger, the Astros winning again. Um, it's just tough not to pick this team. I tweeted a while ago when the Royals were playing the Astros, like one through eight for them, like the one through eight hitters in that game were like 105 WRC plus or better. And like the top four were just ridiculous. Um, like their worst player, the worst hitter was like uh, an 87 WRC plus and it was their catcher. Um, everybody else is just a monster. And then they added, you know, Grinky, and then they've got Verlander um, and Cole. Uh, so it's just a ridiculous team. Um, and so, yeah, it's tough. It, while while I could accept most other teams, you know, if you made an argument for another team to win it, I, I could probably get on board. But right now it's the Astros, I think, and it's it's not particularly close for me. I, I, we get sent these odds from, like, uh, different odds makers every once in a while. And the Astros are like, over two to one to be the American League champion, which, considering there's you know at the time five teams still in it, uh, was pretty remarkable. I mean, they're just overwhelming favorites at this point. Matthew, uh, who's your uh, picks for the postseason? Yeah, I'm not going to go as much in depth uh, into uh, predicting as as Sean as Sean was. Um, so I'll just stick to World Series. Uh, this is a way to limit embarrassment when you're inevitably wrong which happens in baseball all the time. Uh, but I am going to predict that the Los Angeles Dodgers and New York Yankees meet in the World Series. It will be the first time in 10 years that the Yankees will have been in the World Series, which is a really long time for them. You know, they've won a you know, bunch of championships and been there all, well, all a, the time. It's about time something good happened to that franchise. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, 10 years is not, you know, that's, that's a decent, decent chunk of years. Um, and then... The Dodgers, uh, you know, they've been good forever. Uh, they just haven't gotten over the top. So my prediction is that the Yankees and the Dodgers meet in a battle of 100 win teams, and then the Dodgers finally get their uh, World Series victory with Clayton Kershaw striking out Lee Judge in the Game 7 to end it. Aaron Judge, I think. <laughs> Lee Judge oh, would be, quite, yeah, be, be pretty <laughs> remarkable, I think, if he ended up in yeah. the World Series. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, quite a long time. The Dodgers, 30 years, 31 years now, they haven't uh, won a championship, which uh, that's a Royals-esque championship drought. Uh, of course, they've come close the last two years, but uh, that would be something if they finally make through. Uh, I, you know, I, I've got the uh, – I didn't uh, pick the wild card games because I, I don't think it matters too much. Well, actually, I did pick the Nationals. <laughs> I picked the Nationals to win the pennant because I am a sucker. And uh, I'm also a bit of a homer. I like the Nationals. They're kind of my National League team. Um, my son wears a Steven Strasburg uh, jersey. And so they're kind of our team. My sister still lives in D.C. Uh, so I feel like this is their year. I think they're, the wild card game is the game that's going to uh, vault them, catapult them into the World Series for the first time ever. Uh, I do think they they upset the, the mighty Dodgers, um, which will lead to some – you know, overreacting LA and they're going to, you know, it's really crazy to me that like Boston and Chicago, the Cubs, you know, like they have one kind of, you know, mediocre season. And it's like, Oh gosh, we have to fire everyone. Our clubhouse is in disarray and we have to get rid of all our players. It's like, you guys won like 90 games. Like what's the big deal? So, you know, I'm sure they'll do the same thing in LA and overreact. Uh, but I have the nationals defeating them in a big upset. Um, I do like the Braves over the Cardinals as well. I think the Braves are going to be, uh, a team that's really going to be uh, up there for for the next decade. Really, um, they're just really an impressive team. But I think the Nationals will ups- will defeat the Braves as well in the LCS. 
in the National League. American League, it's it's just Astros. I think the Yankees will stomp the, the Twins again. I think the Astros defeat whoever comes out of the Rays or Rays. It doesn't really matter. And then I think the Astros end up beating the Yankees. And in the World Series, the Nationals will be so happy to be there. They're just going to get absolutely destroyed by the Astros in a sweep. Uh, and Houston will be world champions once again uh, because they are just overwhelmingly better than every other team out there. So, Would you guys take the field? Uh, what odds, you know, like what odds would I have to give you for you just to take the field uh, instead of the Astros? So everybody but the Astros to win the World Series. Like, the field's always more intriguing to me, but I mean, in baseball too, it's not like in, like in football, I think like it's like you feel pretty confident about the Patriots like every, almost every year, you know, like baseball still a little bit more crapshoot, I feel like. You know, um, so I'd still probably take the field, but I guess it depends what the odds are. I don't, I'm not really good with odds, but I'm not either. But I was just thinking, like, typically the field, everybody will take the field almost any given. I mean, at the start of every season, I'll take the field. I, I don't care if it's the Astros against that, but like right now, this team, like, I don't know, man. You'd have to give me like five to one odds or something at least to take the field, which is kind of ridiculous. Which is just speaks to how good this team is. The yeah, actually, I'm are. looking on one side here. They have the have to win the World Series, win the pennant, oh. win the World Series. So the field, I guess, the rest of the field would be two to one as well. Which that seems crazy. Like if yeah. the Astros have a 50 percent chance of winning the World <laughs> Series. I mean, that's that seems a little insane. And the Dodgers, they're not they're not, they ain't chopped liver. I mean, they're they're pretty stacked yeah. team themselves. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess Vegas is pretty confident about the Astros. So because five thirty eight. Uh, five thirty eight's a little, little more tame. They've got it at twenty seven percent. I don't know if they've got the playoff games updated part of this. Uh, yeah, no, they do. Um, they've got yeah, they've got the Astros at twenty seven percent, and then the Dodgers at twenty two percent. So a little closer than I maybe thought, uh, but maybe five percentage is big. But um, it's basically Dodgers, Astros, and then you know the the Twins have a lowly five percent chance, unfortunately, um, which you know you've got to go through the Yankees and the Astros to get there. So so just looking at these odds, so they have the, an Agus Insider dot reputable that is, but the Astros are two to one, Dodgers are five to two, Yankees four to one, Braves ten to one. That's actually uh-huh. kind of an intriguing long shot, I think. Uh, Twins twelve to one, Cardinals twelve to one, Nationals sixteen to one, A's twenty five to one, Jeez. and the Rays are thirty to one. So, oh my gosh, uh, no. Rays quite a long shot there. Uh, yeah, that, that Braves one's kind of interesting. Of course, you you have to count on them, you know, beating the Astros in the World Series, which yeah. would be very difficult. But uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So. Hey, we know things don't always turn out in October like everyone thinks they will. Sometimes a plucky young team from Kansas City that won 87 games or 89 games uh, ends up surprising the world. So uh, don't don't be surprised if someone does that this year. So uh, well, that kind of wrap things up for us today. Many thanks again to Alec Lewis for being on the show, and thanks to all our readers and listeners at Royals Review. And we'll talk to you next time.